1: Whether it's a holy grail pair of sneakers, head-turning handbags, or one genuine wardrobe staple. If you're always on the hunt for that one wardrobe staple you just gotta have, eBay gets it. Nothing's more important than the real deal. When you shop on eBay, all you have to do is look out for that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll know that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo will be verified authentic through a detailed inspection. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
2: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.
0: Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike.
2: The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. And ladies and gentlemen, as you're all very aware of, 2023, it's been a hell of a year so far, hasn't it? First UFC pay-per-view is in the books. And this show right here, it could be its own pay-per-view event. But we're giving it to you for free because for the first time this year... We actually have a matchup on BTL, and it's a glorious one following UFC 283. We have two new champions, one feeling a bit disrespected. We have a lot to uncover, a lot to unpack from UFC 283 in the past week in our great sport of mixed martial arts in general. So let's get into it. Introduce the combatants first. Let us welcome back in the exhibition king, Mr. No Gray Area, the co-host, of No Bets Barred, the man behind Damn They Were Good, and he is the Woody Page of MMAfighting.com, Mr. Jed Mishu. Hello, Jed, welcome back.
3: You got me already mad, like our pre-production thing. I'm now just livid from our conversation and it's not gonna go well. I'm, I'm gonna say some things I'm not gonna be happy about. People are gonna be really mad at me today and it's all y'all's fault for what we were just talking about. I'm
2: But happy to be here, guys. Yes, my master plan is coming together perfectly. And also joining us, look, I could run down the resume, the list of accomplishments, awards, we just don't have all day. But you know him from Morning Combat, CBS Sports Showtime. The man is everywhere. He is the bathroom stall fighting middleweight champion of the world, Brian Campbell. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the program.
4: Yeah, and and, and, in MMA beat alumni, okay? So get that right on my resume. Thank you very much. That's very true from the old MMA beat. Ah,
2: how we miss those days. But let's get into this. Let's start with another world champion, Jamal Hill, because he defeats Glover Teixeira. It was the best performance of his career. It was a bell-to-bell masterpiece in the main event of UFC 283. It was one of those kinds of fights where Jamal Hill winning was not surprising, but perhaps the way in which he did it, that left people a bit wide-eyed i've compared it in a lot of ways to the cody garbrandt title win against dominic cruz where he just leveled up in a big way and listen give this man his flowers he went into enemy territory and produced an absolute beauty brian campbell did he not your reaction to jamal hill's big title win this past saturday in brazil
4: Yeah, an absolute grown man performance out of Jamal Hill, who I think rightfully we had questions of not only does he belong at this level, ranked number seven, but getting the title shot because of extenuating circumstances with an injured champion and an interesting draw in the first vacant title bout. But, you know, Hill's trio of of early knockout finishes that he had to get this fight, boy, did he double and triple down on the impressiveness of those now doing it on the road against a decorated former champion, who we come to find out watching this fight at UFC 283, Glover Teixeira was willing to walk through hell and back uphill both ways to try to win this thing. So here's ultimately why this result was actually the best scenario for the UFC for us as, you know, in the know fans who tend to critique things is we find out after the fact from Glover Teixeira's coach, John Hackleman, that he was going to retire win or lose on Saturday night, even though he said he wouldn't, he was going to pull the GSP all over again. So to see Jamal Hill, not only be a younger champion right in the midst of his prime, who'd yet to break out, be forced to show that on this level, how good he is. It was really the, the otherworldly cyborg, you know, caveman performance from Teixeira that forced Jamal to show us every single thing he had under the hood five rounds stamina, elite takedown defense, the ability to adapt, a great chin. Uh, We knew about the power punching. He put it all together on this night because he had to. And the reason why that's the best thing for the division at large is the division has been a mess. You could actually make the case right now that the best light heavyweight in the world – is not under the UFC banner. So to see Jamal Hill jump through my TV screen and prove it all night, as Bruce Springsteen would say, uh, yeah, we got somebody on our hands who's capable and willing. I don't know if he's the best light heavyweight in the world. He's got to prove that. But as we stand right now, Jamal Hill is a very deserving UFC champion.
2: You touched on something there that we will definitely get back into, but Jed, You got the smile on your face, but let's just talk about the performance itself on Saturday. Your reaction to it a few days later. Have you gone back and watched it again? Do you appreciate it a little bit more? And we'll get into the aftermath of this because there's been a lot of it.
3: I was with BC for every step of the way until his last statement of a very deserving UFC champion. He is a UFC champion and he absolutely deserved to win that fight. Come on, man. We all know what happened here. This, Jamal Hill was not the first choice to fight for the title. He wasn't the second choice, or the third, or the fourth. He was the he was there at the end when they were desperate to put a belt on somebody because that's how the promotional machine works. He deserves to win that fight, and he deserves to be considered as a top five light heavyweight coming off that performance because everything BC said is right. That was the best performance of his career by a lot we're gonna get into the where he stacks in the rest of the division and the disrespect quote-unquote uh so i won't bog down on that right now but truth is he has never looked anything remotely that good like even even a minute amount of that good he leveled up to an extreme degree and it, it was a sensational performance against one of the guys who's been around. So credit to him. Give him his flowers. He has the belt. I. This is probably the most paper UFC title of all time. If it's not, it's in there. You could argue Nico Montano uh, is is like neck and neck with paper title. Uh, but yeah, this is a pretty paper belt. So I will not say he is a deserving champion. But he's a deserving top five dude who deserves to fight for the real title as soon as that becomes an opportunity.
2: Yes. So I want to build on this because BC laid it out, and I'll go back to you, Jed, because I have not listened to all of the ranking show yet on the MA Fighting Podcast Now I listened to about 20 minutes of it this morning, and the aftermath of this win has been pretty divisive, Jed, for a lot of the things that you and BC pointed out because Jamal Hill felt disrespected heading into the fight. He probably feels more disrespected coming out of it because in the MMA Fighting Global Global Rankings, he is the consensus number four light heavyweight in the world. I have him fourth in my personal rankings to peel back the curtain. A lot of people in the space feel that we are disrespecting Jamal Hill with this ranking because right now, if you go to the UFC website, he is the UFC light heavyweight champion. I've talked about this already. That ranking isn't meant to be a slap in the face to Jamal Hill because he looked fantastic on Saturday. It's more of praise to Yuri Prahashka more than anything. And my feeling that him no longer being the champion is just plain dumb and it makes no sense. And if the, U- this is what keeps, what I keep going back to Jed, if the UFC just kept the belt on yeah. Yuri and made these two fights from 282 and 283 for the interim title, the way it should be, we would be having a much different conversation right now. We'd be pumping up Yuri versus Jamal Hill, how cool of a unification fight would that be? We wouldn't be having these disrespect conversations. This is just the way the UFC has always done things. And then to pull the belt off of Yuri Prahashka after being sidelined for a month is just absolutely ridiculous. So I ask you, Jed, are we disrespecting Jamal Hill? And do you understand why Jamal Hill would feel disrespected coming out of the biggest moment of his career?
3: We are not disrespecting him. In general fighters don't get disrespected by the media. There are key exceptions. I'm usually the exception because I'm usually here telling you that Michael Chandler sucks ass. <laughs> a, a Take which I stand by and will repeat as long as I have breath in my lungs. No one is saying that about Jamal Hill. No one, no one even really said that before. I was pretty close to being like, I don't think that he's very good Because the tape said that he's not very good. And then he fought his ass off and now I'm not here to tell you that he's bad. I don't know if he is as good as he looked on Saturday because it's literally the first time he has ever looked that quality. And we saw Cody Garbrandt look like an all-world dominator against – Dominic Cruz and then look at where the rest of his career is gone. Like I have no idea if this is a flash in the pan, one time performance or not. We'll see. My suspicion is that it's not and that he probably has leveled up, but we're not disrespecting him by not ranking him at the, as the top light heavyweight because the promotion is only doing it out of like a weird, Oh, well we, we took the title from this dude for no reason. Like it's, if Glover had won that fight on Saturday, nobody in the world would be having this conversation. Nobody would been like, well, Glover's the number one light heavy. Because we know he literally lost to Yuri last year. It, it's the same thing. There is no reason that Yuri isn't the top dude. I personally also have Magomed Ankalaev in front of him uh, because I think that that's a viable thing. And I have Vadim Nimkov. But not ranking you at the top doesn't mean we're disrespecting you. And there's a part of me to answer the second part of your question. Like I can understand why he feels that way because fighters are crazy people because this is not just Jamal Hill. This is really like half the fighters who walk around are the world's most sensitive little snowflakes. And if you don't think that they're the best fighter that ever there ever was, they take that as a sign of abject disrespect to them and fuck you. I'm going to prove you wrong. And that prove you wrong attitude probably gets them very far in life. It's also insane because like saying, hey, I don't think you're the best dude in the world. Uh, At least you haven't really proved it. I do think you're like one of the five best guys in the whole wide world. Like In what rational, out? like what other avenue is that disrespect? If I told you, Mike Heck, you are one of the five very best radio personalities in the whole world, would you be like, fuck you, Jed, I am number one. <laughs> I hope you die and I will dance on your grave. No, it is a psychopath thing. And I th- like, I've thought this for years. We We glorify Michael Jordan because of this like psychopathic thing, where if you actually listen to any of the stories about Michael Jordan, the elite competitor, he actually sounds like a sociopath who you wouldn't want to spend time with because that's this isn't a good way to go through life. Love yourself, Jamal Hill. Don't care what any of us think. Care only about what you think and feel in your heart, and you will be a happier person. And then I won't have to hear you bitch about being disrespected because I think Yeri Prohashka is better than you. See, this is why I got mad. Now I'm mad again, just here <laughs> here in this world.
2: It's not... oh, I'm so happy right now. Do you know NBC? how many
3: people talk shit to me all <laughs> okay. the time on the internet, Mike? All the well, time. The, I bet but, our comments are filled with people being like, Jed sucks ass. And cool. I don't give a shit what you well, think. To be,
4: to be you might a even be things. right. Jed looks like he sucks ass, first of all. But second of all, I... Uh, <laughs> You know, there's going to be a scenario in which Jed takes a hot date to Dave and Buster's one night and forgets about these comments. And then, you know, he runs into a good time, not a long time near the uh, Papa Shop machine when Michael Chandler takes you out for that. But the only thing Jed was right about on this is that wouldn't be the first our time, jobs, wouldn't be the first our, time BC our, <laughs> our jobs ultimately are to be, you know, critics and to fill time and to give hot takes. So it's a natural divide that's going to come between fighter and media member. But here's what I'll say ultimately about uh the, the Jamal Hill win in in the disrespect You, you see look there were there were a million scenarios this fight could have gone where our aftertaste as as critical fans and journalists would have been like oh shit man even if it was a great action fight the best light heavyweight in the world isn't wearing the ufc's light heavyweight title in fact you know not even close i'm just happy that scenario didn't happen because Glover was the craziest of the crazy people in the cage this night and was willing to to fight in a way that forced Jamal Hill to show it as I mentioned. So I don't think there's any respect on Jamal Hill's performance. I think it's a, a twofold argument here on the disrespect he feels one is the natural thing that every athlete or team or coach when they win a championship says everybody counted this out. And it's like, dude, Jamal Hill, you're ranked seventh. So everyone is going to count you out and, Okay, not count you out because the betting oddsman had Jamal Hill as the favorite. I picked Jamal. I was about as to, to say, win, right? Vegas I, didn't I count him out. Jamal the Jamal. money didn't. <laughs> so so there's no real disrespect there, but I think it's just the natural of like any any person, you know, with a brain looking at the scenario and the hasty decisions UFC made to go from the uncle I of Blachowicz decision and, like you mentioned, just keep business as usual. we gotta pull this bell off this guy. We gotta have another title fight no matter what. That created a no-win situation for Jamal Hill, and the only way he could win it was by having the performance he did over five rounds. So I'll give him that pass. I think the flip side is the overall criticism he has received, which I've gone on record saying is I don't think it's necessarily fair in this instance. And here's what I mean. He's got a, a a large group of fans and media who have decided they just don't like him, whether fair or unfair. And some of that is his public behavior, the tweets related to the aftermath of Dana White slapping his wife. Uh, to some people, it was the celebration in the ring, which went from inspirational and emotional to almost like "fuck y'all, y'all" type of deal. And look, that's his right; he can do that in that moment. But I don't, you know, I don't think you can even for Jamal look at those situations and not expect to get some level of, of, of bad feedback or people overlooking you or, or whatever. I mean, I think in this case, all that stuff that said, I think we have to separate it from this moment. As you said, give him his flowers. This was a con- considerable achievement. He went from, you know, not nobody, but somebody to somebody really special overnight. Now he's got a lot still to prove. And, and even in this division, which is completely just in transition right now, uh, you know, post John Jones, there's still, you know, he's going to have to earn it the hard way, and, and he's going to go out there and do that. But I thought it was a little bit weird, guys, even though I I thought his comments, even if I took them out of wrong contest or whatever, about slapping and all that stuff, I thought it was abhorrent. I wouldn't want that on my Twitter account if I was a fighter. But I think people were using that distaste and just throwing as much negative to a certain degree at Jamal. I, mean, I saw a lot of media and fans, you know, people being like, yeah, man, it's just cool that he won a great performance, but this guy sucks ass as a person. It's like he might or he might not. I don't know. But to me, that's a little bit separate from the idea of does he deserve to be called the real champion and not a paper one? And I think that performance, even with the messy situation, it, it's fucking messy. Let's be fair. Dude, he stood out that night. He, you know, he he does he earned he earned everything. Come on.
3: He earned a win. He earned a win over, I think I had Glover at the time ranked three or four. I'm not here to take that away from him. And I'm not here to take the UFC title away from him. I, we talked about this on the ranking show. I'm just here to say that that in the scheme of quality UFC belts, that's pretty low on the bar. Now, if he's as good as he was Saturday, like I said on the ranking show that he has, like he could legitimately offer John Jones problems. And I believe that like actual John Jones, LA heavyweight, I think he offers Yuri real problems. He has a chance to do that. I don't, but I, you just can't tell me that like he deserves the full blown belt in the same way that like, I don't know, Francis Ngannou did when he blew Stipe's head off. It, it's not the same. We I brought this up on the ranking show, Mike, I don't know if you ever got there where it's like, do y'all remember how much shit Daniel Cormier got when he won the light heavyweight title? And I like nobody, I don't think anybody's giving people are giving Jamal shit for his personal choices. And I think that's valid because if you come out and say that you should hit women, or uh, that's a, an aggressive paraphrase, but you know, defend uh, domestic violence, in other words, like you, you reap what you sow there, man. Like I can't help you on that. I have not seen anyone be like, this dude had a bad performance or is a bad fighter. I have – everybody's been like, wow, that was unbelievable. I haven't even – people say here – like Glover's washed, which is what you would expect if people were trying to neck him on this. Like, oh, Glover's just – no, it was just like, holy shit, Jamal beat that ass. And that's part of why this sucks because this should be this triumphant awesome moment, Right. Where it is, oh, we've got a new dude here who's like real, like real, real. This is interesting. He's relatively young. We can get him and Ankaliev and Yuri can be going at it for years. This will be sick. And instead, the, it, it's turned so negative and, you know, hand up. If you want to give me the blame or whoever, Sure. But Jamal is part and parcel to that. Like there, there is a re. If he had not said shit after the aerial interview, where he talks about, I just want my chance, my opportunity to prove that I'm the best. That was a a heart touching moment. Like that, that was a good moment and made me want him to succeed, uh, and certainly to see him succeed and do well. And then he's the one who fucked it up in the same way that you mentioned the post fight, his post fight started good. And then he immediately turns to fuck all of y'all. Like it, he, he is a party to the perceptions that are being created around him. And those don't have to coincide with who he is in the cage. Most fighters, or maybe not most, a lot of really, really good fighters are not the best people in the world. That's just what goes along in this sport. But I don't, I think that it's fair to judge him on all of this.
2: Well, just just to paint the picture, um, going back to what I said earlier, had Bohovich, Ankolaev, or Glover won the title? I wouldn't have had either of those guys at number one in my rankings. So just throw that out there. No disrespect to Jamal Hill. It's just the way that the division is it's a very, it's a unique set of circumstances to get to this place. But does Jamal Hill have the potential to earn that number one spot after one more fight? Absolutely, he does, beyond a shadow of a doubt. It just all depends on this how this all plays out. So, BC, how does this all play out? Let's go back to you. How do we book Jamal Hill not? Like, do we keep him on ice and let's hope that Yeri is just the freak of nature? We all believe he is, and he can heal at super incredible paces or do we go with somebody else let yuri rest and then he gets the winner like how would you do it
4: it's, it's a it's a slippery slope because i think the rightful move right now and we've already heard jamal say that he's willing to wait a certain amount of months you know to find out if yuri's comeback is as Quick and aggressive as Prohatska has has told, uh, I believe Ariel that, that it that it's looking to be. So I think the best, the right move is to rematch Blahovich and Ankalayev, but I don't think they're gonna get that because they both sort of violated the unspoken UFC rule, which is you know, we put you in a big fight, you go out there and you fight to the death to try to earn it. You don't sort of backdoor your way into a draw and then argue about it afterwards. Uh they could just as equally easily go, no, we run this place. Ankolaev is probably the best live heavyweight under our banner right now, even with that draw against Blahov which was disputed. I mean, you know, Uncle Live didn't score the fight, but in my opinion, he didn't do enough to, to leave no doubt and stamp it and go for it. So uh, could they just reward him and give him that as a stay busy? They could, but I think there's interesting potential in building towards a Hill-Prohatska fight and in the, in the promotion could understand this. You know, Jamal's 31, but he feels like he's like 24 to us because he did kind of come not from out of nowhere, but from a position that we didn't look at him as a monster threat. And then overnight here he is. Uh, b- but look, I think the best scenario would be this. Let's do exactly what, what uh, Jamal says. Let's wait till about April to see exactly where year he's at. If you can make that for the end of August or September, it's probably worth waiting to that point, especially since if, if there's any remaining thing that Hill has to do to prove that he's the real champion, it's go beat the guy who was last wearing it. I mean, that's how the system works. So that's the best case. And I actually would like Blahovich and Uncle I have to do it a second time it doesn't have to be a featured fight, a main event, or anything like that, but just to give us what that fight was supposed to give us. In this case, it would be who's the number one contender. When they met in December, it would have been who's the vacant champion, but either way, this is a bed that the UFC has made, like I mentioned, where there was going to be a large number of potential really bad scenarios that played out of it, including Glover winning by rallying in the fifth round and then giving up the belt, GSP style, which we cannot funniest. overlook. It would have been the funniest so, outcome BC. With him now being the actual champion, and he earned it against somebody legit dude there are, there is a percentage of elite fighters in this game that would have bought that lot of them that would have buckled under what glover did even in the fifth round when i'm watching through my fingers he took hill down and went to full mount it's like this could have been anderson silva versus chael Sonnen all over again And I'm actually glad it wasn't because Jamal Hill showed me enough to say, like I said, I don't know for sure if he's the best, but I'm not going to sit here and really make any complaints about him actually being champion. And if we have to wait for his first test to be against the guy who just held it, let's do exactly that.
2: Jed, we waiting for Yuri here? What are we doing? I just want to briefly say it would have
3: been one of the funniest things that's ever happened in this sport if Glover had won the belt and then immediately retired and left it. (laughs) After after all of the nonsense, it would have been just the biggest fu from Glover. I don't think that's what he would have intended it as, but that's certainly what the UFC would have taken it as, and I would have died laughing. Uh, I think there are two out there. There are two ways you can go about this. Uh, if I had my druthers, Jamal Hill would fight, um, not Yuri, just because as much as Yuri believes he has this aggressive plan to come back, etc that's still a really long time away and if he waits till april and then we test see what's going on and maybe he's like cool i'm on track but then something gets offset or whatever like things can happen on on that big long extended timeline so i, I would just prefer just having him fight and again i think it should just be magma nankaleev because i think he's the best light heavyweight on roster. I think the UFC thinks that, which is why they were so adamant about him getting the title shot at 282 or whatever. Uh, And I know the, the Yan thing is a a tough pill to swallow, but you just do it because that's what's happened. That's what I would, would say do. Uh, But I don't think that's, what's going to happen. I think they probably are going to wait for Yuri. And look, there's one really simple way to tie this all together. I know Conor McGregor just came out and was like, they offered me tough and they are going to do Michael Chandler. That seems like the worst idea possible because Conor hasn't fought in two years. And I don't know, putting him in Vegas for an extended period of time feels like playing with fire. Uh, whereas instead bring Yuri in from the mountains of, of the Czech Republic and let him be weird on television for a really long times, a tough coach. And I won't tell you I'd watch tough because I will never do that to myself because I love myself. But that's at least like a compelling thing that they could have. The the Yeri versus Jamal as coaches and kind of the, – they're very different styles, uh, personalities and can, can build, as BC was saying, a guy who feels new, who we don't have that much experience with. And frankly with Yeri, it's, it's very similar. So you can let both of them get some more time in front of whatever fan base is that watch tough. You can build to this fight – we're not just burning the eight months while we wait for Yuri to get back. And it, it seems like if they're insistent on doing tough, do this. This feels like the best way to do it.
2: Something tells me I mean, this. Yeah, go ahead, BC. I,
4: I mean, um, you know, here's the deal, Jed. I mean, great idea, and it would bridge that gap. But you think – you know, tough's already a dying brand that only Dana defends. And so we're going to put Jamal Hill and Yeri Prohatska's personalities atop there. Like that's not a uh, recipe for success. I can't believe you said something there that. I don't think there is a
3: recipe for success with tough.
4: (laughs) You you said, you know, Conor McGregor, tough doesn't interest you. Here's the deal. I don't like tough at all. I watched the first season, right? I watched the heavyweight season and I watched the strawweight season. That's really about it. But you know, what can get me back there watching it and, just about every casual fan, I get. You know, you can link me in that group if you want to. Is Conor McGregor with a messed up personal life gone forever? Coming back to this dead franchise reality show, Real World, and trying to revive it. I think that's a brilliant idea and probably the best thing you could do to try to save the show. Bring, you know, a guy who has history on there and the sport's biggest personality of all time. And you said, oh, put him in Vegas where there's trouble. Look, there's going to be trouble wherever this guy goes because that's the life he chooses to live. I'd rather have him in an environment that's fueled with trash talk and mano-a-mano and training and get Connor back into that that, that role again, right? Whatever is left, left of that mystic magic, which to be fair, I'm also tired of the whole Connor experience. I think, though, you put those two Back together. That's that's a oh, there's something there, but uh, I don't need to see these two light heavyweights in a in a reality show at all. Um, it, I just need this division to get back on track. I don't know if there's a scenario where John Jones loses to Cyril Ghosn and then sheds some muscle and comes back down and fights for this title again it's by the dead. end of the year. I don't know what's going to happen for the future of this division. But said it before, I'll say it again. We actually have a young, exciting, viable guy on top right now. So if it is Uncle I yet next or it is that the, the former champ there, Prohatsko, who I believe gave up the belt on his own. UFC did not strip him like you guys were saying I, I believe that's what my research tells me that's but uh that's
2: listen no 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 what what this is If you read through the lines yeah what this is let is, let me tell this, you is this is defense this is
4: horse slap you know yeah
2: yeah this is this is Terry Francona <laughs> this is Terry Francona being fired from the Red Sox but being but it's being presented as it's an amicable split we're,
3: we're part we're parting ways
2: yeah, okay. that's, that, that's exactly what that is. That's Tom Coughlin getting to stick around for another year, even though he's a terrible coach of the Giants because they won a Super Bowl. Like, that's just how it was presented. I, it still doesn't make sense. Even Yuri, like, the UFC could have just been like, Yuri, this is dumb. Like, why would you vacate the belt? We're not going to let you do it. And they were just like, okay, fine. So I, it just, the, none of it makes the, sense. Yuri's idea. Yeah, I don't uh, think so either. But we can, we can talk about tough and all that stuff. And I have a feeling that this topic is going to come up again oh, so God. stay tuned for that but let's God. move on to the next topic we have a lot of UFC 283 to talk about the points for round number 1 goes to Jed Mishu one to nothing i mean he, he wasn't a very Love happy yourself, mood everyone. before Yes, he was in a very happy mood before we hit record here, but five
0: minutes before, uh, change. But let's... Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry.
1: Whether it's a holy grail pair of sneakers, head-turning handbags, or one genuine wardrobe staple. If you're always on the hunt for that one wardrobe staple you just gotta have, eBay gets it. Nothing's more important than the real deal. When you shop on eBay, all you have to do is look out for that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll know that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo will be verified authentic through a detailed inspection. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, real is always in reach ensure your next purchase is the real deal visit ebay.com for terms
2: let's talk about glover to because i think he deserves to be talked about here because like we talked about nonsense retirement after loss would have done it anyway so Jed, i'll start with you the the, the way the way this man finished his career winning the belt having an all-time classic with yuri perhashka a fight he was a minute away from winning and then just Showing this incredible toughness in this Jamal Hill fight, like BC laid out, takes the dude down, mounts him. We're sitting there at the watch party, like, this is actually going to happen right now. But credit to Jamal Hill. But considering what this man was four years ago to where he ended things, like, how will you talk about this man on Damn They Were Good?
3: We talked about doing one, um, and we will at some point. He, uh, his career has been fascinating if you look at it in the totality, right? Because for years he was he was the guy who wasn't in the UFC. We'd heard all about him forever. Hackelman, um, Chuck Odell, you know, been telling us back. Back in the days when he was in the WEC, but then he had the visa issues and prolonged, prolonged stretch where he can't make it in into the organization. And it's like, okay, and he finally gets in. He finally makes it to the UFC in 2012, 10 years ago, by the way, uh, over 10 years ago when he was 33. Like he's old at that point for in the scheme of MMA. Like I remember at the time it was I mean, it would have been great if we got him in his prime, but we're at least getting him here just before the prime goes, he can still get some. He makes the title run, falls short to John Jones. A lot of people fell short to John Jones. It is where it is. And that was supposed to be the end. Like, that was the end of his career. Because after the John Jones loss, like, he picked up some more. He would win some fights, lose some fights. Uh, Anthony Johnson just did rumble things to him. Uh, Gustafson knocked him out. And he wasn't, he was just going to be a guy who maybe didn't make it to the UFC during his best years. And so we never got to see that. And instead he was just a dude, a very, very solid guy, top 10 in the world for a good stretch. And in the last like five years, his career has had the most incredible renaissance where if you had told me in 2018, 2019, right? Like four or five years ago, Glover Teixeira is going to be a first ballot hall of famer. I'd be like, that's insane. Like what what is he gonna do? Is he going to win the light heavyweight title? And then damn, he actually went and did that. <laughs> like he it he he put together this unbelievable run with unbelievable performances too down the stretch at a time when he shouldn't have been getting better. He is one of the very rare fighters who ever improved to such an extent that even the deficiencies of his athletic and physical decline weren't as like weren't as noticeable. Bisping was was very similar. Like by the time Bisping won the belt, he was a shell of himself physically. But his his tactical and technical improvements had been so great. And the and let's be fair, the division broke pretty nicely for him in some ways, uh that that it worked out for him. And and Glover had the same thing. Like certainly the timing helps. I don't think he's ever the champion if John Jones just decides to have his shit together and stay at 205. But that's not what happened. And instead, he gets to have this unbelievable late career run where with one of the best fights that we've ever seen against Yuri Perhashka, a one of the most incredible performances against Jamal Hill, not in that he won or even looked particularly good, but just the heart and the toughness and the mental fortitude he showed in that, like you, you don't see that from most men ever. So uh, just... I don't remember the prompt here other than to talk about Glover's career, and it was sick, and he's now going to be a Hall of Famer, which a couple of years ago would have seemed insane, and I I think he is undeniably a Hall of Famer and and leaves the sport. I, I know he's going off a loss and a pretty tough loss. Still leaves the sport one of the best retirements that this sport's had, which speaks a lot to how bad MMA retirements are. But also just the fact that he's going out after that kind of performance against, a, you know, one of the best guys in the world. Hats off to him, man. Never saw this coming.
2: BC, 10 years from now, after multiple more awards that you and Luke have won, when someone asks you about Glover Teixeira, how will you respond? That's not BC.
4: That is, uh, that is George and Jed right there. Uh, to me, he ended up being like the American, I'm sorry, the Brazilian Randy Couture. Like, you know, Randy Couture is not Captain America. He isn't like this. He He doesn't become an action movie star without doing things in his supposed twilight that you thought were impossible in the most like grassroots organic way possible. Now I say organic without seeing anyone's blood test. I think you get my point right there, but like the the reason why I make that comparison is because Randy t- to us of a certain age is like a Paul Bunyan type, you know, legacy to him that that almost that like supersedes the accomplishments in the two division champion. Now, I mean it goes hand in hand at the same time, but the Glover thing is interesting is is that the late run in the championship allowed him inclusion with those of his contemporaries, the legends from Brazil that started in pride, although his, his path was different, but, or he's around the same age as Shogun who went away on the same night legends who went through pride, just had a, I mean, really an inhumane level of chin and mental toughness and focus, but you know, he didn't accomplish the same thing as those guys across the board, uh, Vanderlei, big nog Shogun, you know, Anderson, whatever. He gets inclusion in that group because he finally became a UFC champion and because this twilight was so productive on such a high level, but he has his own unique legacy within that. That is literally like the coolest legacy you can have. It's not just that, you know, we didn't see all this coming. It's like how many guys careers end for, injury or their chin falls apart or they just physically get too old a lot but you do wonder how many guys just get to a certain point where they don't want it anymore or they're not willing to work as hard or harder than they ever did glover is like that rare good things happen to good people especially in this awful current mma you know news headline climate that we're in but it's also what happens if you try your absolute hardest for as long as you possibly can and you want it like you've never wanted it before and you're suddenly Getting better. He's getting more dangerous because as you mentioned, like Bisping, it's the experience. It's like one that when the experience catches up with the physical, you know, usually the physical falls apart quick. He was able to hold that together for a stretch where it's like his last two fights were spectacular defeats. Uh, you know what I mean? Like one in which he like got submitted by a non- non-jujitsu practitioner when he just collapsed in exhaustion. Yet the, the purity of the heart that he showed in those two fights, those were like arguably the two biggest wins of his career. Like not even counting the upset, you know, uh, victory over Blahovich, which was just like one-way traffic and went his way, storybook ending. These last two performances showed you that he not only still had it, he may have been more dangerous and a better all-around threat and just altogether more incredible in this in this last two fight stretch than he ever was at any other point in his career. Who peaks like that at that age on the way out, right? I mean, maybe Randy Couture. So I like that although Glover's never gonna beat Big Nog and all those guys for the amount of combined championships and names that they beat. He's got his own unique tag on him for being like the ultimate guy's guy, the the nicest guy in the room, but also the toughest and the coolest. And that's exactly who he's been. And I actually love, you know, the way he went out, it it was a freaking Rocky story. It was the ending of Rocky one spoiler alert. No, Rocky doesn't win but he wins. You know what I'm saying? Glover, Glover won this. He figured out how to beat this game in his own exact way. And maybe him, win, you know, winning in a dramatic fifth round of victory, and then putting the, putting the belt down in the middle of the cage would have been like the ultimate ultimate, you know, move, but I'll take what I got from Glover, you know, as a consolation.
2: hundred percent. Well said. And the beauty of this all is that he's still going to be around, He's got Alex Pereira still winning titles and maybe going up and fighting for a second one if things fall in such strange ways. And he's coaching a whole other generation of fighters in New England that just always seem to win when Glover is in their corner. So they got, the man's going to be around for a long time. He's a tremendous ambassador for the sport, and we have obviously we'll, we'll continue to see Glover to share at UFC events in the future. Just no, no longer as a fighter and. Much respect to Glover Teixeira. What a career that man had. So let us move on. Well said by both guys. It's almost unfair to give a point here, but we have to do it. So the point for round two goes to.
4: You're right, Jed. BC, it's one to one. Hey, Jed okay. has matured in this rematch. He's, he's, a, he's a tough out right now. You know, he's coming on. And if you if you're coming on, Jed. I don't think this,
3: I think on. this is our third. I don't think this is a rematch. I think
4: this is three. This is a rematch. You know, I, I had, you sent your henchman, Alexander K. Lee after me last time. All right. But, uh, here I am back. Yes. We've we done
2: this twice before. Yeah. Maybe. I think you might've retired before the second meeting. Oh, well, maybe. Who Not can, well.
3: it's, it's so hard to put it all together.
2: Yes, so many MA retirements. Perhaps we'll be building to a quadrilogy or a tetralogy, which is a perfect segue to what we're about to talk about. Uh, Brandon Moreno is the undisputed flyweight champion of the world, gentlemen. The rivalry with Davis and Figueredo goes to the assassin baby. He looked fantastic. The man just continues to evolve, BC. So your thoughts on Moreno's performance and just... Overall, the series of fights with Figueredo as a whole, following UFC 283, because I really hope that this rivalry between these two guys, despite it being in the in the flyweight division, I hope this this rivalry ages as well as it as it deserves to be.
4: Yeah, I, so I love this rivalry. I will say it didn't. You know, some people thought we were overrating it heading into the fourth fight. And what if this fourth fight isn't a, you know, killer all fight of the year contender back in war, fourth war, which it wasn't, by the way. Would that, you know, water down the, the ultimate significance here? I say no because it was four title fights for Figueroa; They were all in succession And they were all in their own way, you know, the combination of dramatic and and educational in terms of of where they are and their growth and all of that. Uh, It won't get the all action, full on stamp at the end. And the reason why is because Moreno not only won this rivalry. Two one to one in terms of actual scoring. His two victories were stoppages, and if we you know go back and look at it closer, one-sided fights. So I learned in the end that Moreno's the younger, fresher fighter who's in the right weight class based on how hard it is to actually make that cut, and he showed us some 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 solid improvements throughout this series. I mean, look the the most impressive moment of this series to me is still then thirty-four year old Figueroa coming back from being stopped by Moreno to change his game plan, add some wrinkles, and find a way to get a close decision in, in a pretty tactical, fun fight. But in totality, the two stoppages from Moreno overall and, and the adjustments he made to get your, there show you that he's probably the better fighter overall and certainly has a chance here in the aftermath of the long DJ run that kicked off this division, the short little and sweet Cejudo one, which maybe ultimately saved it. Uh, Moreno is is the guy probably – Probably because there is Pantoja in the building who's got two wins over Moreno already, including one by stoppage on tough. Uh, probably is the Moreno being the, the guy who has the best chance to actually make a reign here. I mean, this, this flyweight division posts those two great champions I talked about uh, in the midst of the threat of it being canceled, like just turned out to be awesome. And there's so much parody at top and all these fights are so close. And really anybody in this top five or six can get hot. Brandon, raw dog, Roy, anybody could just get hot and go on a run at the title. But the changes I've seen Moreno make at the highest level here and how willing he was to say, look, the third fight, you know, I, I read my clippings a little too much. I I started thinking about my own future a little bit too much. I like that humility, same humility he showed when he got cut and came back, and you add in the James Krause factor, switching camps, switching all that, all that uncertainty – and Moreno went out there and stopped this guy. Uh, yeah, he. I, I, li- I like him in more ways than just as, like, first Mexican-born UFC champion. Could he be a thing if they back him? I like his well-rounded game. I like his mindset, his ability to make adjustments. Uh, I think he's got a chance here. I mean, Pantoja's going to be a tough out, and there's a couple other guys I'd love to see him either fight for the first time or, in a lot of cases, rematch again. But um, this is a mature pound for pound level fighter coming in full bloom. And he had the perfect, you know, dance partner in the, in the natural heel villain that, that is figure to push him to that.
2: And then the knee injury and he was sick for a lot of the camp. And yeah, the Krause thing just doesn't get talked about enough. Cause he didn't have a ton of time with, with, with that all-star group of coaches that he put together. and, and, and like Safe Sayud said, it's not just getting guys together. It has to gel. You have to work together and it has to gel. There has to be a, a flow. And it was, and it all worked out for Baron Moreno. But uh, Jed, your thoughts on the rivalry and, and and Moreno's big win. He's the undisputed champ. It's
3: probably the best rivalry in UFC history. Um, not for stakes or well, stakes isn't the right word. Uh, not for broad appeal because, you know, your mom doesn't know who the hell Brandon Moreno and Figueroa are, but we're talking four fights, two went to the cards, two third round finishes. Um, what's that? Uh, 50, 60 70 plus minutes of in cage fight time uh, at an elite, elite level. That's, you, you don't get that. Like the only thing that I can think from an in cage perspective that's as close. Off the top of my head is uh, Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky. And their third fight wasn't like competitive, but their other two fights were extremely competitive. And so uh, we're talking very rarefied air as far as this rivalry goes. I'm with BC though, uh, and I thought it coming in. I thought Moreno was the better fighter. I thought that he uh, had a, a compelling argument to having won the third fight, and even having lost it, uh, that fight felt to me like he lost the battle, but the war was done. Uh, you know, because so, to me, look, and certainly looking back, it feels that that's even more true. But that fight felt like Figueredo had to make some pretty major adjustments to tactics and strategy that once it, once that bell is wrong, it doesn't get unwrung, and he can't keep doing that. And so that's why I felt really confident Moreno in this one. That's what it looked like. Moreno came in, adjusted to what, what Figueredo was bringing, and Figueredo had no answers. You know, The stoppage is like a little wonky, but totally legit, totally fine. And Moreno was kicking his ass anyway. So I think this dude is, if he's not the best flyweight in the world, I think he is the the best fighter in the world that fights at 125 pounds. We have the whole rankings thing with Demetrius Johnson and how stupid-ass shit one championship is with the weight. And so I have DJ as my number one flyweight, and I still would because I think if those two dudes fought tomorrow, I think that that favors DJ tremendously. But as far as dudes who actually make the weight of 125 and fight, I think it's Brandon Moreno, and I think that he is going to – really start to solidify his career legacy in the upcoming fights, I I think he is going to put the wood to Alley Pants. And I like Pantoja, but I think Moreno is just, uh, he is ascending right now to being that dude. That fight's going to be fun as hell. And then we can get... Uh, I don't know, Manel Cop is is coming on strong, uh, Mateus Nicolau coming on strong, like some rising contenders. Flyweight is sneaky, sneaky fun, but I think this is Moreno's division for the next year, year and a half, uh, until, and maybe even past it, Mohamed Mikhaev, if he ever decides to get mean and want to actually hurt people instead of gently cuddle them for 15 minutes at a time, <laughs> uh, he can be a very serious threat to Moreno, but... Uh, Until then, I I really like Marino's chances against the rest of the dudes in this division. Uh, And some of those fights are just going to be incredible barn burners to watch.
4: Yeah, but you can't confidently say, you know. I could see him still with the belt in two years. He's going to have that chance to prove it. Does he have the well-rounded skill? Yeah, but dude, I mean, he's going to have to hear from Kaikara France again, who was beating I'll him before it. that. I'll say um, it right now, you know, BC. Confidently say it. What do you want to bet? I mean, you know, maybe he's lucky Askar Askarov's not coming through that door a second time. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe maybe in that regard. And I'm not here to at all shit on this rivalry because I'm the guy after the third fight heading into the fourth that was like, no, folks, really, this is one of the best rivalries in history. But I don't think the fourth fight did anything to improve that reputation where it was at through three fights. And I think because of that, it'll get talked about, but I hear you going, you know, this is like the best rivalry. I think in UFC history, well, except for if you, if you, if you click on this box and this box and this box and this box and this box box on the subhead to, you know, remove some elements of it. I mean, it's not, but you know, it's not better than, than Jones Cormier from a feeling standpoint. It's not better from than Nate versus Connor from an anything standpoint. It's not better than Frankie versus, you know, uh, uh, Fucking, you know who I'm talking about. Gray. The guy. Gray Maynard? The guy. The,
2: the guy. Gray who, Maynard. This thank is, you
4: very much. The, dam, the this, damn bull. This is
3: better than all of those from a technical standpoint, not from a vibe, certainly not from an energy or vibes, but from like a – what they – like the actual fights. Maybe DC Cormier. Maybe not. Those two fights were really something to behold, but – i this is better than any of those know. from Dude, like uh their, G- their fights. matt
4: Hughes had a bunch together too i mean there's been some great rivalries i want to just say at the end of the day that this four pack is unique in its own right and was pretty damn cool but it didn't it didn't do what it had the opportunity to do and i know that at the end of the day jed you understand that you recognize that
3: do you mean like it didn't elevate them because they're small men and no one can elevate flyweight beyond a certain level
4: it didn't like I'm max genuinely out asking. I don't know what you mean didn't do what it, of this rivalry. I think we needed to have a competitive fourth one yeah. for for this rivalry to really be in that conversation of best. And I think you were a little too haphazard to it say, be, you know, well, this might be the best, you know. I'm just I'm strictly talking of
3: like if I have to re-watch their fights, those are four pretty solid, fun fights to watch. I'm wi- I'm willing to agree. I am happy we didn't get a great fight though. Cause I didn't I know a lot of people were like I watched them fight hundred times. I didn't want a fifth; like it would have been okay. But if that was a good fight, we're just going to get a fifth. Figgy's not going to move up to one thirty-five. We're well, just yeah, going to do this forever. And I want to see Pantoja get his
4: shot. I do too. And Figgy is the ultimate badass. But like, it's roulette every time he was trying to hit on that scale. And I don't, think, I don't see how anyone could say any differently. You're either going to get seventy-five percent of him, and seventy-five percent of him might be able to win that title, or you're going to get a guy who's you know, affected by that because I mean, he looked dead with his shirt off Wednesday of fight week.
3: He a thousand percent did. My problem is that I think 75% chance to win a title is better than a hundred percent chance to get thumped up at Bantam weight. Cause figgy ain't going to have a good time up, moving up weight class, man. I mean, it'll be a it short time. It's just going to be problems. But, uh, yeah. Unless he get gets Cody problem, Garbrandt. So. I'm standing here. I'm a man asking the MMA gods, give us (laughs) Figgy Garbrandt. I know Garbrandt's fighting some dude. They talked about doing it at 125. Just make that one be his debut. I don't care if Garbrandt wins or loses, frankly. That's the debut fight.
2: It will be incredible. Do you agree with that, B.C., or do you have a different idea for
4: Fagee no, I No, it's, it's actually becoming difficult. I don't want to say it's becoming difficult to disagree with Jed Meshu because that's I don't know if that's really a true statement, but it's becoming <laughs> uh, more difficult to stand at times so aggressively on the other side of the field against him because he's the – He's the trailer park version of a gas station me, you know. So that might sound like an insult, but I'm looping myself in there. I mean, this, this you know, we may have drinking the same water in different areas of the country growing up, Mike Heck. Okay. So uh, you know, good congratulations. You found love somebody, the- somebody who I can look across from with the Spider-Man meme and go, yeah, I've seen that energy before, and I I kind of like it. You know what I mean? Yeah.
3: I love the two degrees of separation. The trailer park version of a gas station me. Not just one of those. I'm not gas station BC the trailer park version of gas station BC.
2: <laughs> That's amazing. I'm the um, three
3: day old roller dog at the gas station, not the fresh one.
2: Well, let's see how this next topic will, will, will motivate the two of you guys is, is this new tandem, because uh, I mean, I do want to touch on Gilbert Burns. Uh, great win for Johnny Walker. Great win for Jessica Andraj. And, and while Andrage looked phenomenal, the story in the aftermath has been about Lauren Murphy clapping back at everybody who, Chastising her corner for not stopping that fight. Obviously, Lauren Murphy took a lot of damage. The craziest stat to me that I saw was that she took like 30 less significant head strikes over those three rounds than Zhang Wei Li and Yoani and Jacek took combined oh. in their first fight over five rounds, which is friggin' insane. But BC, Lauren defending her corner. We've seen it many times before. That's what fighters do. But this has become a big topic since Saturday. What have you thought of this, especially like her reaction, her just getting after everybody on Twitter about this?
4: You know, it's like we it's like a lot of times we have to pick how uh, aggressively we're going to react to somebody's reaction. And then it just further on down the chain. And then everyone comments on your YouTube clip and says, you know, you're a cancel culture uh, leader and all that. But uh, in this case, it's like I give her a pass because you know, it was emotional afterwards and she felt like a lot of parts of her foundation were being questioned. But I think she got it all wrong. I mean, her argument and response was ultimately like, I am tough. We know you're tough. No, that's the point. We know you might be, like Glover, too tough for his own good. Only obviously the difference, and you mentioned those punch stack comparisons which really, you know, show you it. This wasn't a competitive fight at all. And Glover actually looked like he was one punch away at times from like winning that thing. And that was a title fight. And he has a history of not just fighting through craziness but being a finisher a two you know a two way finisher if you want to say it whereas that's just not you know, her history. So, uh, I, I'm, I was, I was surprised how quickly this discussion died when we last had it after Pennington versus Nunes. And that was a, you know, a, a different scenario altogether too, not just because it was a title fight, but because the fighter was the one asking out and the corner wouldn't listen, which, you know, is, is a rough spot to be in, but no, she's completely wrong and off here. And I, I do like, it's tough because in boxing and MMA and combat sports at the highest level in general, I think the direction is going in the right direction of, uh, you know, po- power slap, notwithstanding of trying the best to marginalize the rules just enough to make more room for safety. And, you know, you see boxing matches stop before a, a 10 count in a lot of situations where the referee just makes a instant decision. And in this case, there's just no history of her winning and she's not even defending these at all besides her face. There's nothing to, there's nothing to gain here. And it's, uh, uh, and and i get that the more we talk about that, the more instances that pop up, it's going to be like, you know, at some point fighting won't be fighting anymore because it'll be too sanitized and you can't sanitize it. So there is a line, but uh, I think we 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 need to get past this sort of like old school caveman, cave woman way of thinking that there's, you know, some type of moral victory in, in really physically bad losses like this. Um, you're always going to have that argument for the title fight, or I even tried to make the case for Calvin Cater. That, that's his title fight. ABC see against Holloway. So in the fifth round, are you hoping there's a chance he could put something together? Even that's a different scenario than this fight. The only thing I thought that she mentioned when she said double standard that I do wonder, I said this in Morning Combat, if we don't have this discussion enough, do we have some type of natural bias double standard where when we see a female getting beat up you know, in a, in a, in a match that we're quicker to want to jump in? That actually might be true. There might be a double standard within that. But this was the wrong reaction to the wrong scenario to try to defend for um, for the fighter here. And, and, you know, I'm not mad at her. I get it. It's emotional. She's trying to stand up tall. And there's a little too much of her talking about, like, the media will never be happy. No, the media is never going to be happy. A lot of the media are idiots too. A lot of them actually might be <laughs> scared, like Dana says, you could call me one of those if you want to. But again, our, our job is to fill time on shows like this and make interesting, really critical statements about situations. Uh, you can't be looking at the media as your, you know, uh, as your applause meter, you know, meter or your, uh, or your motivation either. I mean, I guess you could use negative stuff as motivation, but you know, that's not the battle you want. Like go talk to your corner over whether that was the right call. That's probably the, the better conversation I have right now.
2: Jed, your thoughts, because the, the take I consistently continue to hear is her corner deserves all the blame. The referee deserves none. And I don't, necessarily agree with that because i actually think the referee deserves some blame here i think he has to have the wherewithal to understand what is happening and if you are going to allow lauren to go out in that third round you need to have the wherewithal to be like all right you can do this you're responsive in the corner they're letting you go but we're going to keep a short leash on you and jessica just put up even more numbers in that third round than she did in even the previous two. And, you know, I heard Luke talk about Luke Thomas, talk about the N- They know the fighter better than anyone response. And I do agree with him in a lot of respects, but I do also kind of understand where Lawrence coming from, because one of the people in her corner is actually her husband. So it's almost like if my wife was in my corner and I got my ass kicked and she let me go, i of course would go on Twitter and defend her. So I don't know if that's neither here nor there, but Now that we've seen Lauren's reactions to all of this and you hear like the consistent take corner gets the blame, the ref gets none. What do you think?
3: I'm fine with it. Um, I, I have a pretty clear how I think that this would work optimally and it's the ref shouldn't stop fights like that. That's on the corner to stop because for all the reasons Lauren Murphy thinks that fight shouldn't have been stopped she was fighting back. She was not prone or defenseless. Her defense was not effective, but she was making tangible efforts to do something. And I have long believed that that's kind of the line that should be drawn because otherwise we're, we're getting into a spot where from a sporting aspect, I'm a little uncomfortable with how much power the referee will have to dictate winners and losers uh, in that regard. Whereas the, she She's pretty clearly fighting back. And no point in that was she ever not defending herself. I think that that is why the corner is the one who should stop this here. And for as much as I respect what Laura Murphy has been through, and I can maybe understand her her position, i I agree with Brian. I absolutely think there is a double standard applied between men and women. I think that that standard has that, – that gap has closed in recent years, but certainly early on, who buddy, there were all, all the time that conversation was being had when, the, when women first made their debuts in the UFC. That is not any part of what happened here. A full-blown ass-kicking was unleashed on her, and it was not good for her. And as much as Lauren Murphy wants to say, I have two black eyes, but I'm fine. That's not how this works. Like that to be very very serious here, how many times did you look at Muhammad Ali after fights and his face was like unrecognizable or whatever? It the damage is not what is done to your face and your like that. It is what is done to your brain over years and years of this. And Jessica Andrade undeniably one of the hardest hitting women in this sport. Put 96 freaking significant strikes on her in that last round in a fight where she couldn't win where it was very evident from the first minute that Lauren murphy didn't have the tools to compete here and that fight should have been stopped in the first minute and it probably shouldn't have been stopped after the first round but after the second round when she was down i don't i know what she was down officially on my scorecards she was down 20 to 16 with and she it's not like Laura Murphy's a finisher she does not have the tools to win this fight and she went and took 78 more headshots in that third round it's just like that i am not concerned about how you feel this week or next week i'm concerned about what you are going to look like laura murphy in 20 years when there's a story on mmafighting.com great website about how laura murphy is having issues with with memory or whatever like spencer fisher if you have not read Steve morocco's story on spencer fisher i implore you to go do so because that man has had a tough tough go of things being in wars just like that frankly more competitive fights than what lauren murphy just had to offer and the fact that we talk about it all the time and i know fans hate this shit but the UFC doesn't provide these people with the appropriate medical care and the appropriate compensation, and so Spencer Fisher is left sort of out here on his own, dealing with very severe issues, and you know, working a gym to make ends meet. Lauren Murphy, you have you never won a title, and you're never going to. You are fi- a perfectly good fighter. Some might say a, a great fighter, but you're not going to get to that life changing, forever money. And so the only thing you have to take with you is your health. And every fighter leaves a piece of themselves in the cage. You've seen that from from the start of this sport to the start of boxing. You leave some, but it is a question of degree. How much are you leaving in there? And you may want to, but that is a decision made by you right now. And you have to live with it, not me. So at the end of the day, you can defend this. But... This is pretty objectively indefensible. And I can say objectively, you know why? Because Lauren Murphy has a tweet, Mike. She has a tweet on this very subject. I don't know if you saw my Twitter where I just, I put them together. But from a year ago, a coach's first priority is to keep the fighters safe. The athlete's safety is the first priority always. Coaches or trainers that don't understand this or don't do it do not deserve to work with athletes hashtag not that hard to understand so take it from her take it from laura murphy herself this was not complicated this fight should not have continued and that is not disrespecting her or her toughness it is respecting the fact that she has a life to live after this and that she wasn't going to win that fight you don't win them all some days you get speed bagged that was her on saturday night and it would have been better for all parties involved if her corner had said hey you know, it, it's just not our night. We, we've seen too much of this. We're going to, we're going to stop it. And that's all we're asking for.
4: Yeah. My, uh, I was going to say, I thought
3: I was going to get yeah, the yeah. the sound effects from Casey. Mike, yeah, I don't really know where the
2: applause Yeah. I yeah. mean, you're about to, you're about to get a point. I mean, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> Good I guys. think it's possible
4: I've been set up here because the irony of that moment, and that was impressive, uh, from from a guy like that, right? From that guy, that guy over there, right? I mean, that guy just <laughs> delivered. Is uh, he just made a Jamal Hill like like uh, leveling up since last time I've been on this show? It's incredible, you know. So, uh, so you know, from oh, thanks, sweet BC. dreams to sweet creams over here, Jed Mashu, congratulations, man. You, I don't know if you're the best light heavyweight in the world, but you just won that <laughs> point. All right?
3: I'm not. I'm not. I also want to say on that note, uh, Glover should have been stopped after the fourth round. I I understand why and I have less of an issue with it just because that was his final fight. So like I I at least get the inclination like BC was saying. But objectively, that fight should not have been allowed to go to the fifth.
4: I I watched it through my fingers and the last time I did that uh, was – mark Hunt versus uh bigfoot Silva, part one you remember that one remember that that, down under that was that was uh the last round of that i was like oh my god you know that was yeah it was brutal it
2: was brutal uh i do want to end 283 talk on more of a positive note so real quick rapid fire bc i'll start with you uh outside of the main storylines who was ufc 283's six player award winner who was the the low-key mvp
4: uh, you know, it's weird. It'll probably, if, if you ask this on a, on a whole, go to like the, the bone theme bros who like kicked your TV screen in or Jaltin Almeida at heavyweight. Like there was a lot of, I mean, look, there were 17 fighters in, from Brazil and 15 fights on this car. There were a lot of like emotional breakthrough moments, but dude, how about 36 year old Gilbert Burns? How about like as much as he has been angling to try to get the type of fights that it seems he's teasing today on Twitter has just been signed. And I think Masvidal just tweeted something similar. Who knows? But it seemed he like he was going like the action fighter route for big money. But like this performance over Neil Magny and the the way he did it, like, first of all, it was almost Chumayev-like. And second of all, Dude, he's still in this welterweight title discussion, like, in a big way. So whether he does get Colby next or Masvidal, which I could connect the dots and say that, maybe he gets Bilal next. I don't know. But, like, no one thought he was washed or, or was – I mean, look, the, there's not enough truthers out there that he deserved a decision against Hamza, right? There's not even enough people saying that. He, we knew he still had it, but I think there was a belief that he was entering into, okay, let's let me be my own Michael Chandler right now. Let me cash some big checks and make some action fights. But uh, if he commits to his ground strength, you know, he got in love with the knockout because he came, became so well-rounded and he did knock down the champ Usman in, in the first round of his title fight. Don't forget that. But if he goes back to being that dude who's, who's, whose main goal is to get you to the ground, um, when you look at the players out there, he's, he could still win this thing. And I don't know if I thought that coming in right like that performance that woke me the hell up in terms of what's still under the tank we always know he's willing right but like that was another gear i didn't expect in this matchup even with him as like a minus 550 favorite
2: yeah much like you said jamal hill needed to do exactly what he did on saturday night i feel like gilbert needed to do exactly what he did on saturday night and he did exactly that so uh jed is it gilbert burns for you or is it somebody else
3: Gilbert Burns, maybe has finally convinced me that he's good, um, which I have for years just been opposed to. Not that he's not good, but that he was like a top 15-ish lightweight, so why would he be a top three welterweight? to just didn't track. That was a just a world-class ass-kicking. Uh, but no, like, look, come on, man. Like, I love Gilbert Burns. I do agree with BC. He actually still has a shot to win this whole damn thing and and have that sort of late career – Title win that is is monumental, but there's one dude who was the the topic of our ranking show, (laughs) and one dude who has barnstormed the heavyweight slash catchweight one two twenty division cruiserweight jailton almeida. Look, everyone expected him to do this, and that's fine. He still went and did it against a top fifteen ish dude. And we've seen – like I'm not here to tell you Shamil Abderakamov is like the best fighter ever. We've seen him get beat. We've seen him get comprehensively beat. But zero strikes, I don't know if that's true. I may have just made that stat up, but it's not like Shamil landed anything. And every time the level raises on Almeida, he still just looks unbelievable. Like I don't – there are people – People who work in this industry and have worked for years in our Slack channel saying that Jilton Almeida is that like will win the heavyweight belt as soon as he gets the opportunity and not jokingly, like just believing that in their bones. This dude is is a rocket ship right now. And I think at some point he's going to get checked. But for the time being, he is on a Hamzat Shumayev level of hype. And it's like he's easily the story for me of of the undercard, certainly.
2: It's a great pick. Uh, we're not even going to go through the theatrics of the, the third round point because we already know where it's going. Jed just gave everybody chills with that Lauren Murphy thing. So we'll go right into round four. We'll go to some news and notes. We'll rifle through a few of these uh, and see where we go. So BC, I want to start with you because you mentioned you've been on the show before. And I don't know if it was the first time or the second time, but it was right after the Salt Lake City card where Luke Rockhold fought Paulo Costa and then retired from the sport. And you gave, I mean, one of the greatest pats on the back to Luke Rockhold that he's probably ever received in his career. And then right here, back on your next appearance, we find out Luke Rockhold is not retired anymore. And in fact, he convinced the UFC to release him outright from his contract. So your reaction to not only Luke Rockhold unannouncing his retirement, but now
4: he's a free agent and he can go fight anywhere and anybody. So it's interesting. Uh, sexy name, The the idea that there still could be something – Of some level left in that tank but i needed to end up like it's weird if you even after he retired after that crazy fight with costa and the blood and everything there if you would have said oh he's just going to come back in a few months do you think that's a good idea even at that point even in the emotional aftermath i don't think i fully got what happened in that fight like if you missed it in the costa fight a transaction took place in which luke rockhold Always his own worst enemy because of the level of arrogance which he fought with. And at some point, that arrogance type kind of took over for him, you know? And it's like, I'm never going to take away the upset loss. I was sitting there in the first throw in L.A. when Bisping, did, you know, had his moment, and it's Rockhold's fault. But, like, that's who Rockhold became throughout all his inactivity in recent years. Just, like, kind of fought like a knucklehead a lot. And it it in ways that overtook how skilled he actually is and how little he actually has fought throughout his thirties, you know? So there, is there some idea, is there really some potential juice left if he wants to do it? I, I needed to see that performance against Costa to know that there's, there's fight in him still, and that he still really wants this. And I think he discovered that in the moment under the romance of like, wait, this is my last fight. I'm not going out like this. And just did like, incredible things in that fight, like heel moves, but, 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 you know, the kind of heels that we love, like Ric Flair, like moves in that. So I'm actually intrigued, especially if he, especially if he steps down the matchmaking and and he mentioned he's a free agent for boxing or any, you know, MMA promotion, but he specifically doubled down on, well, Hey Coker and I have a good relationship going back to strike force. I think him at Bellator, if he wants to stay the path of, I want to actually come in here to try to win the title at 38, that's kind of interesting to me, given the top 10 and the potential matchups there, which includes, you know, Gegard Mousasi and, and the champion, of course, Johnny Eblen and Tokov's coming on February 4th as a big title opportunity. And, you know, you got Vanderford. There's still a couple names there. I kind of feel like he could make a run there. It could kind of be interesting. And I know that's not always what Bellator wants to be seen as giving, you know, UFC fighters on the way out this potential to have another time under the light, but as long as he can rein in the things that led to his undoing in that in that final run of his career, including the Blahovich fight, which he looked actually physically incredible at 205 and just kind of, you know, leaves his chin out there, leaves his guard down in, in ways that are unexplainable. You remember the strike force version of him? You know, remember him who bounced back from fighting that alien Vitor in 2013 and, and went on that run? Like, if that guy's still in there to some degree it's not out of question that he's in some pretty interesting fights. You know, I I know he'd probably prefer to take boxing crossovers and get big money, and if it's all about money, then, you know, pay that man his money. Go for it, whatever. But if he still wants to fight... I could see him winning this Bellator middleweight title or at least ha- having a shot to, and I'd be, intri- I'd be intrigued on the journey there. And I'm from a guy who, who you know, did the love-hate-love-hate love, hate cycle a few times with this guy because Rock holds him unbearable a lot of the times, to be fair. But, man, am I just, I'm always intoxicated by his talent. And uh, I think he's got the eye of the tiger in again for whatever that's worth. I don't know if, you, if if that and 75 cents will still get you a cup of coffee, but I saw something in that Costa fight, and Jed, I think you felt it too. I know the things you feel, and they're weird, dude. They're real weird, yeah. Your search history is a mess. I know it is, bro. But you know that that's fine. That's that's cool, right? That's it's you know it's who you are.
3: I hate that me and BC are so alike. <laughs> he said a lot of things I agree with, Mike. Uh, I don't think that Rockhold has the juice anymore. Um, but I, I, my assumption is that he left whatever he had in the cage with the Costa fight. The Costa fight was. I am so upset. I have been really upset at MMA fighting for on very few occasions. One of them was the year that Max Holloway was fighter of the year because he beat José Aldo twice. And he only won that because one rogue panelist uh didn't like give Demetrius Johnson any credit at all, despite two big wins, and that being the flying mighty armbar or whatever. Uh, that had me very upset for a long time. As you can see, I'm still, I can still recall it. (laughs) I was incredibly disappointed that Rockhold Costa did not make our fight of the year list. That I was in fact, the only person who put it in their fight of the year rankings this year or for 2022, because that fight was magical. (laughs) It was, there's there have been a million MMA fights in my 20 years of fandom or whatever. I have never seen one where a guy is just hopelessly fighting his demons and father time like and like that's what it was of him just being like I don't have it and I will not go quietly into that good night so I will rub blood on you and yell fuck you while I kick just fruitlessly it was the most incredible fight and the fact that we didn't give it any love it's gonna hurt me for a long time but the fact is i think that was probably whatever rockall has left to offer i have to assume that he left it all right there thinking that that was the final frame of his career I'm sure he's done this and this feels a lot like a cash grab uh which you know good for him it's gonna be a real real tough scene to watch him get left hooked into unconsciousness by jake paul but I think Jake Paul can throw a left hook and Luke Rockhold has shown nothing in his whole career that says he can defend one. So that's probably how that's going to go eventually. Uh, but if he goes to Bellator, uh, like BC, I will have an odd fascination because this isn't the best dude in the world, like by any stretch. He is not a Glover to share a level of good guy, but part of him is Fascinating when he's not revolting. In that some of the stuff he has done in a cage is unparalleled. Like I stand by this. I actually firmly believe he is the most incredible top position grappler I've ever seen compete in the sport. Because like Islam and Habib and their ilk were unlike. We all know we don't have to go into that. Watch every second Luke Rockhold had on top of somebody. It was not control and just suffocating pressure. It was watching a man drowned violently because somebody is shoving their head underwater. He throttled Chris Weidman to a dis- – like, and Chris Weidman is a good grappler. And Luke Rockhold just obliterated him every moment he got on top. It was the most in- incredible thing I'd ever seen fighting, and we got so few like instances of that. And I think that that's probably gone now. But if he goes to Bellator, like I, I will begrudgingly be interested in a Gegard Mousasi fight, in a Yoel Romero rematch. I mean, Johnny Eblen will probably tune him up, but like those are fights that, despite my better judgment, I'm like, yeah, I- I'd tune in. I would tune in. It's better than whatever the hell uh, Bellator's got marcelo golem fighting daniel james in a headliner of event because what well, reasons like for just get him get him for that because he is at least a better headliner than that shit so i'll keep watching because he will he will not fight somebody who's useless because luke does not have that in him like his his big weakness is the ego he will fight someone with a name and so there will be some level of interest drawn there but i i don't think he's making a run
2: all right. Well, I, I like it. Oh, I the I forgot
3: the actual best answer too. Is he should fight Francis Ngannou now?
4: Oh <laughs> come Jesus on,
2: Christ! Jesus yeah. Christ! <laughs> oh, I meant boy. to lead
4: with that. All right. Oh, it's well, like, <laughs> it's like farting before you leave the room with that kind of talk, right? It's like thanks <laughs> yeah. for thanks for the parting gift, Jed. Appreciate that. You know. You yes. you telling
3: me you wouldn't tune in to watch Francis Ngannou, Luke Rockhold? I, mean,
4: I, I like a lot of crappy <laughs> liars, gas station fights, liars, right, but all I don't. You're liar. But, you know, yeah, some somewhere deep inside of me, there's still a Rockhold Superfan, and that guy is screaming no to that idea. So, no, please. Dude, maybe
3: we can get Rockhold for Doom now. Bring back that old magic in the Bellator.
2: There we go. Well, uh, there were more news and notes, but for the sake of time, we were going to move on. Uh, we don't need theatrics. But we'll do it anyways. The point for round four goes to... It goes to BC because, although I love Jed's answer, when you say we're too much alike, when there's compliments being thrown around before you give yours, that's usually not a good sign. It's usually a sign of a ten-nine round. Oh, the I thought you was no. giving
3: it to him because he didn't he didn't offer
2: a sanctioned murder. <laughs> yeah, God, that too. I mean, there are many reasons I gave it to BC, but uh, I'm trying to trying to be nice here. But that means we're going to the knockout round. We haven't done one in a while, but Ooh. here's how it's gonna work. Same question for both gentlemen. We, we touched on this a little earlier. Each competitor will have one minute to answer. Once we do that, we'll turn it over to the peeps. You will judge, you will vote, and then we'll announce the winner. So Jed, prerogative, what are we doing? I'll go first, sure. Okay, well, you already kind of touched on this. Conor McGregor posted to Instagram, he has been asked to coach the next season of the Ultimate Fighter in lieu of a potential comeback. So in 60 seconds or less, Jed, will Conor's presence be enough to get you to watch? I think you already touched on that. And if you had the bookmaking decision, who would be the opposing coach? We can just go with that. Who would be the opposing, opposing coach for Conor McGregor if you had the book? One minute on the clock. Go.
3: I mean, look, there's nothing that's going to make me watch tough. So just to get that out of the way. Ooh, good music drop as I start. (laughs) Uh, Look, there's the answer is Michael Chandler. And if there is anyone who could maybe get me to watch that dynamic, I don't think I'd tune in, but I would be, I'd, I'd peruse Twitter to see like what the highlight drop is from Composer or whatever, something that happened between those two, because bombastic personalities certainly uh and i think especially if you tell michael chandler hey you're finally getting the connor fight and you're gonna have a whole bunch of time to really try and build this he's gonna yell a lot because that's what he likes to do he loves (laughs) to get very enthusiastic and yell and straight to the top or see you at the top whatever it is he'll do that um and that's that's it like i don't who else could you even put in there? Because Connor shouldn't fight anyone good, so you have to let him fight someone who sucks, like Michael Chandler, <laughs> and he probably still won't even win that fight, frankly. But it will be compelling, and it'll get people like BC to tune in.
4: Okay, uh, seems oh, like that's Michael. A too, bad
2: got, <laughs> yeah, got Michael. I mean, Chandler's all the goodwill,
4: <laughs> all the Jed goodwill just just spilled all over us here at the end of the show. This is great. Right. <laughs> yep.
2: He was yep, he, he was he was setting the table for disaster. So BC, is it Chandler? Is it is it Habib? I mean
4: it could there's a number of names we could think outside the box here. So uh one minute on the clock. I mean, look, the, I mean if, if we didn't already know that Islam's fighting uh Volkanovsky next, I could have made the uh Islam argument to try to get Habib involved, but he's not. Jed picked the worst possible option for the UFC in, in Chandler. Obviously that fight would be badass and be incredible to watch, but Connor has a great chance to get knocked out in that fight. So if you're the UFC, I think you still have to do some level of protection to him in the matchmaking unless somebody's a big enough star where it makes the gamble worth it. If it's Jorge Masvidal, who again just tweeted out, whether he's talking about Gilbert's tweet or Connor's, that he that there's big news coming. It may just scratch all the boxes. Connor's probably gonna lose that fight, but it may scratch all the boxes. It also could get Connor a baby face in the eyes of the fans again, potentially, uh, from that standpoint, which I think does lead to better sales and more dollars, even though Connor is largely a villain a lot of the times and lives in that polarizing center. But those two aren't even the best answers, though, altogether. Neither is Tony Ferguson, which you is probably too, right? the best version of the Daniel Cer- Donald Cerrone fight if they wanted to do it again. I don't think Conor versus Tony really works from a tough sell standpoint. But you're telling me tough is going to be involved, and you want to put Conor in a big fight that can do monster ratings but also give him a big chance to win and also potentially present him as a legitimate baby face again? Guys, wake up. It's Con- it's Patty Pimblett. That's the freaking oh. fight to make. He's an absolute <laughs> villain right now in a lot of people's eyes as this failed butt. He's the perfect villain from the standpoint of trash talking and the back and forth they're going to have. And there's a Spider-Man meme again to use that reference of those two kind of having the same cornball game, you know, in terms of shtick after one another. This is a fight that's very winnable for Connor, could completely put him over. I don't think it would destroy Patty, who there's already questions about his top end. If UFC, UFC has made a lot, in the especially pre-ESPN deal, a lot of shrewd moves, matchmaking. We love to bring up, I love to bring up the bad ones, Hendo, Bisping too, right? Even though it was actually a fun fight to watch, but you get my point. If they this is old school promoting. If they did Connor versus Patty next in a pay-per-view main event in Europe and oh by the way, do a ultimate fighter season with that, everybody wins in that scenario. Everybody does. That's a that's that's old school promoting, but they don't need to promote pay per views like that anymore because of the ESPN deal, as we know. So, you know, things have changed a bit. I just I, I just want to I say thought you were, I, wanna, I thought you were you were gonna do I it, thank BC. You.
2: I wanna thank you, BC, because I didn't think it was possible to change time, but that was the longest minute in the history <laughs> of minutes. And I and I appreciate that. Uh, Jed, I will give I'm you an extra 30 seconds to 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 rebut. I saw your face. I don't know if that was oh, a face I'm just, of.
3: I thought you were gonna do it, BC. I was so ready to be like, give him give him all of the votes. I thought you were going to say the one that we wanted. Sure, the patty, like, that's not a terrible idea, but I think my mind will explode if those two dudes have to be on a television screen that I may or may not be forced to watch. If you want to get, you, you talked about old school promotion. <laughs> Baby, there, there's one out there. There's a there's a rivalry that that transcends the courtrooms and... A good old fashioned bad blood, former best friends, bring back Artem Lobov, baby. Oh Let's go, the goat.
4: <laughs> how about he has to fight Dennis I, and Lobov on the same night? All right, how about that? I wouldn't would do that. I will. I will tell you right
3: now, the UFC makes Artem Lobov an opposing coach with Conor McGregor. I will watch every episode of Tough, <laughs> and I will say nothing bad about that program ever again.
4: <laughs> it would be incredible content.
2: Wow. So, I hope these none votes of us are coming said Diaz, in not by in. the way
4: not none of us said Nate Diaz.
0: Hmm.
2: yeah, that's a good one. That'd be a good one, but he just left, so, I don't know if he would come right back, maybe if they did like a year and a half from now, some potential, but I don't think it would happen that quickly. so uh all right, well, so the votes are tabulating some other news and notes. we were gonna maybe talk about Tyson Fury, Francis and that rivalry sort of heating back up, if you want to even call it that. uh Dan Hooker versus Jalen Turner. UFC 285 on March 4th. That is a that's a that's a big ass fight and Dan Hooker is just such a G for taking that one cuz that's probably not going to go great for him or maybe it <laughs> will. I don't know. really um, bad for him. Looks like April 8th, Uh, it's not done yet, despite some calling it fake news. It ain't fake news, folks. Aljamain Sterling, Henry Cejudo being targeted for UFC 287, obviously some hurdles to to leap over in terms of Sterling's bicep injury and the recovery. Uh, But that is what the UFC wants, ladies and gentlemen, per multiple sources uh, with knowledge of the plans. Uh, so those are some other news and notes. So I'm just trying to fill time because I can't give any sort of broadcast schedule for us because there's no UFC card this weekend. There's no Bellator card this weekend. And if this is next week, I could fill that time while the votes come in with that stuff. So, Casey, let's bring you in. Do we have enough votes? Are we good to go? Can we announce a winner?
0: We are good to go. Okay. We have. A Who win. wins? <laughs> <laughs> First off, s- spectacular final 60-minute, uh, uh, what, what, six, it felt like 60 minutes, 60-second <laughs> closing <laughs> round. I don't know why I have a clock up there, but... Um, it's unnecessary. All right, uh, unnecessary. All right, your winner today with 58% of the votes is... and still undefeated Mr. Brian Campbell
2: BC gets it done, another award another award another trophy, another championship I don't even know, we have like 87 champions at BTL right now without an undisputed one, but uh, BC making his case, the Jamal Hill of Between the Links Uh, any final thoughts? You get 30 seconds to say whatever you want, you can plug your stuff, whatever you want
4: I'd like to dance on Jed's grave here, but you know, out of respect for that guy, uh, I had to earn this one. I had to fight for it. I didn't think it was, you know, necessarily coming my way at certain points in here, but you know, I come from an award winning show. So uh, if you watch morning combat, you know, anything's possible like this, right? Go as you said, but uh, shout out to Jed. He put up a good uh, defense in return, but you know, us MK boys are a little bit different though. Okay. I mean, can you get Luke Thomas on the show? I don't know. He's just, he's, you know, he's I'd largely angry. All the time, but uh, you know that uh, pa- talk about a pay-per-view. Meshu versus Thomas. I'm I'm here for that one. Okay, would <laughs> be the angriest BTL <laughs> of <Yeah>. all time. <laughs> yep, yep. This is. I mean, that that you know, if I can use my time to promote that, there you go, right there.
2: Well done, Jed. Any any final words? I, I mean, look, this is this is a great battle.
3: I always love love competing. It's Brian. Uh, since he didn't promote his own stuff, really, I will promote uh, them saying. I am currently listening to the resume review of Fedor Emelianenko, so check that out from, from the Morning Combat Squad. Uh, and keep it tuned here, because we are going to have a damn they were good on Fedor Emelianenko uh, coming out, I think, Monday. So uh, in anticipation of his final fight, the GOAT is hanging him up finally.
2: All right fighting ryan bader and what a moment that could be fader riding off into the sunset as the heavyweight champion of the world bro. god that would be the best so everybody i guess enjoy your your weekends off from major mma you get the royal rumble on saturday so that should be a lot of fun so if you enjoy that kind of thing then you can enjoy that case you can hit the music we are done we have made it through bc's one minute has come to an end and uh, we we're happy you were able to join us for the first competitive edition of BTL of 2023. So thank you for watching. For Casey on the ones and twos, shout out to BC. For Jed, I am Mike Heck. Back here next week on Between the Links. Good night, everybody.
0: This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production. I'm Mr. Lin. Thank you for watching. Hit the subscribe button. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Support for this episode has come from eBay. You know real when you feel it. And with eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you don't have to wonder. You know that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo will be checked by experts and verified authentic. Maybe it's a designer handbag, sneakers that pop, jewelry that shines as bright as you do. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.